Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, I'm Alex Lowe and welcome to a special edition of The Ruck, the rugby podcast from The Times and Sunday Times. With the Premiership season to resume in less than three weeks, we caught up with four players who faced different challenges during lockdown and have their own reasons for being excited about the prospect of finally returning to the field. If Manu Tuolangi's move to sell Sharks was the most eye-catching mid-season transfer, did Bristol pull off the best piece of business by signing Ben Earl and Max Malins on loan from Saracens? Now living together in Bristol, Earl and Malins spoke to Owen Slot about adapting to their new surroundings and swapping a year in the Championship for a shot at another Premiership title. Lawrence Delalio caught up with Guy Thompson, who talked through the turmoil of being released by Leicester Tigers days before lockdown began and then having to find a contract at another club during the pandemic. But first, what happens when your breakthrough year is stopped in its tracks? Wasps were flying when lockdown started and Jacob Umanga was in possession of the number 10 jersey, having been part of England's Six Nations squad. I spoke to Umanga about Wasps, Eddie Jones and his first taste of silverware in New Zealand. Jacob, thank you for joining us. How are you feeling? How's lockdown been for you? What's been going on? Yeah, I'm feeling good. I spent some time with my family in the first like kind of six, seven weeks of lockdown because they live so far away. I haven't seen them properly for it was about six months. It was nice to spend a lot of time with them. I trained with my dad and my little brother, so I was keeping fit. And then coming back down here to train, it's been really good. It's been good to kind of see the lads again. I'm moving to a new house with some of the boys, so it's nice to to be around people again and. The where the like kind of going back to normality now is 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 really nice, but so everyone's a bit on edge. But now nah, I've been been really good. Who are you moving in with? I live with Will Porter and Sam Spink. A rugby sort of academy house. Bit of fun. Yeah, yeah it's nice. The first time I think they've they've lived uh, out of academy housing, but uh, I rented last year, so I'm, I'm quite used to the paying bills, paying rent. I think they were a bit shocked when they, when they all had to realise what they had to pay for. <laughs> You must be itching to get back on the field. When lockdown came, wasps were thriving on, on the rise. You were you were starting fly half. It felt like it was an, you know it wasn't a great time for the country, but it really sort of seemed to to stop wasps in, in in the tracks. You must be desperate to get back out there again. Absolutely, we were flying. We were doing everything was going going right for us. We had that turning point against Saris, and we went on a good run of games. So I think yeah, it came at a bad time, but we've. Since we've been training, it's kind of picked up where we left off. So all the skills are still there. Everyone's still got the same kind of mindset of what we had before. Now we're getting closer to the to the 16th for our first game. We're, we're really looking forward to it. Is that the challenge for you to, to maintain that momentum or, or, or recapture that momentum? You know, you're coming from a, a standing start in, you know, after so long out. You can't really get any pre-season games squeezed in, certainly not at full pelt. Is, is that the big challenge for Wasps is to try and hit the ground running? 
Yeah, absolutely. And like, well, we've we've had a, a new kind of adjustment to the coaching setup, and the guys who brought them are really able to manage that. The new S&T coaches have known that you know it's not the start of a season; it's more of a kind of the back end of a preseason, looking to move into a, a normal season. So they've looked after our bodies really well. We're all really fit, we're all firing. So we're just waiting to now for the coaches, you know, to put all the the final pieces into play. It's such an unusual situation, isn't it? Because usually coaching changes and squad changes happen mid-season. You're coming to the sort of the sprint towards the end of this season, but with with new new coaches, new new players in your in your team, and and you're coming up against, I don't know the Bristol's and the Sales who've made some huge signings. It's just an unusual, odd situation, isn't it? Very, very strange times. A lot of our group has stayed together pretty much. We only lost three, three or four players maybe. So kind of having that group that we had at the end of, you know, before lockdown, keeping them all together and we've just brought in Ryan Mills would be a great addition. We kind of can keep the same momentum that we've got with all the players that we've kept. Ryan Mills, I guess, will, will come in, probably play alongside you. You're one of those players who always stood out to me playing for Worcester. Just his, his vision of the game. Have you clicked pretty well with him in training so far? How's that been going? He's a really good guy to play with. He, he talks really well. Obviously, his, his attack and defensive ability, everyone's seeing for Worcester. And just a, a really nice guy as well. So he's kind of integrated him really well. He was in a different group at the start. And from what I heard around the, around the team, he fit in really well. You've had a big year, like I say, the, you know, the, the lockdown halted the Wasps momentum. But you, you had a, a call-up from England in the, in the Six Nations. What was it like to, to receive that call to start with? I can't imagine you were expecting it. Nope, not at all. An absolute shock. I thought I was getting pranked at first. I was a bit like, this This can't be happening. But once it kind of settled in and I was, I was like, oh, I'm actually in, in the team now. Kind of, I'm in the squad. So it was a good experience. It was a different experience from kind of what was happening at Wasps at the time. We were going through a little bit of a, a rut. But when, it, when we were training in England, it was, it was completely different. And I learned a lot especially around, around some of those guys. I and mean, it's pretty hard not to when you've got some top-class players around you. Uh, and they've just tried to bring that back into the WASP environment. You know that Owen Farrell and George Ford are, are there and they're going to be the ones picked to play in the games. Does that give you freedom to, to just try things and to learn things without the pressure of you know, maybe having to play on the Saturday? Yeah, absolutely. That was my main focus point going into it. I was, I was a bit tentative at the start of the first week. I was really nervous. But then after that, and I spoke to Eddie and he was like, you're not going to play. Just bring you in to kind of look at you. I was like, oh, well, I can, I can try some things. I can express myself. I can just get the best out of the two days that I'm there and then focus on what I'm focusing on for Wasps and do it at a higher level as well. So it worked out in my favour in that way. What kind of things was Eddie saying to you about your own development, about what he sees in you? As a player, what he'd like you to work on? One of the best quotes I've ever heard, he says, you've got the body of a used car that wouldn't get sold. Obviously referring to the shape I'm in. Those guys are in peak physical condition and I'm a bit, I'm a bit smaller than some of those guys. So that was the, the main thing I was in for the, the extra slots of weights. And when I came back to Wasp, he was saying, make sure you're getting in the gym. So that was the main thing. But then a lot of it was the amount of kicking that happens in, in international rugby. The one thing I learned was they'd rather you make the mistake and then they get the ball back off it. So I'd, I learned, I thought a lot of it was in the premiership, you hold what well, in the premiership, you hold on to the ball and then you can score from it. Whereas in international, you kick the ball, kick the ball, whoever wins kicking battle wins a game really. So I took that from it and tried to implement it when we were playing back at Wasps. How did you take that quote? That comment? <laughs> I'm not sure everyone would have taken it in the best way. I loved it. 
I absolutely loved it. I've, uh, I always have a, when we're back at Wasps, yeah, I'm, I'm known for not really being the biggest lifter. So kind of to get it all the way through, I'd, I don't mind. And, and it was quite funny. It was like the second time I'd met him and he said that and I was like, oh, this is, this is going to be a fun time. So were you able to train doing weights through lockdown or has that been a period of frustration that you haven't been able to, you to work on something that, that you know that the England coach wants you to work on? So I was extremely lucky that my dad, he works at a uni, Bishop Burton, and they'd all finished, obviously, because all the students weren't allowed. And the gym was pretty much, there was a little gym that we could use. So I was in there pretty much throughout the, the, the whole of lockdown, trying to, trying to lift with him. He's still probably lifts more than me at 54, something like that. But I was trying as much as I could to get into the gym, yeah. So your dad, we should remind everyone, is, is Mike Umanga, a former Samoa international. You grew up in a rugby family, your, your uncle, Tano Umanga, the 76-time capped All Black. Take us back to, to, to growing up in a rugby family. You would have been on the touchline of, I guess, Coventry and Rotherham and everywhere your, your dad coached and, and, and played for. Rugby was everywhere. Yeah, it was exactly that. Rugby was everywhere. Yeah, following my dad round National 2, National 1, Championship clubs. On a Tuesday night, he'd try and get me to go down. He's like, come join in. I think I'm, he tried to get me trained at Stourbridge a couple of times when he was there. But it was just good because you learn from a young age. I know it's, it wasn't like the peak level, but you just learn how to kind of train and push yourself. And even then, when I was back at under 12s, 13s, you know, I'd see stuff that the guys at the weekend for Cov were doing, and I'd try and bring it into what I was doing there. So even though there was such an age difference, I was trying to learn. I should say your mum has a, a rich rugby pedigree as well. Was talk at the dinner table rugby every day? Pretty much. Yeah, I'm glad you shouted her out because she'd be upset if, if I didn't say anything. She taught me a lot of the attacking stuff. She was a bit of a playmaker, she says. Um, she loved the dummy switch, which I've kindly adopted from her. But yeah, she had a, a lot of skills. My dad was more the defensive guy and my mum was more the attacking player. You're a fly half now that you, you played centre. You're, you talked there about adopting your mum's sort of attacking vision and, 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 and the plays. But you've always, as far as I understand it, you know, you've always had a, a keen eye for attacking strategies and, and attacking plays, even from, from a really young age. Yeah, yeah, there was a time, I think I was about eight, eight or nine. I remember sitting at home, it was like a Thursday or Friday. I was like, Dad, I've got this move for you. And it was, I, think, I think it was pretty much just the dummy switch with a crossfield kick off a, off a scrum or something like that. And I was like, oh, what should I call it? So I came up with the name Stanley Nice. And then the weekend after something, Coventry were playing Sedgley Park away. First minute, Cov score for off a Stanley Knife. So I was like, I looked, I looked at my, my mum next to me. I was like, I, I wrote that move for Dad. I gave it to him. And then after the game, he comes up. He's like, did you see your moves? So yeah, I've, I've um, always tried to, I, lo- I love the intricacies of, of the plays, especially kick plays. I love you know, crossfield kicks, chips. Carlos Spencer doing the you know, banana kicks and, Stuff like that is where I kind of really learned from that. Coaching has definitely brought that side out of me as well. I love to try and throw some plays in there. Does that exist to this day? Are you are you established enough? Do you feel that what you can come in and you know on a Monday morning and having designed a Mark two of the Stanley Knife or whatever it might be? Are you doing that still? I've thought about it. But my plays are a little bit more high risk, high reward kind of kind of plays, whereas. Uh, the ones that we do, everyone everyone knows through. But whenever we get a chance to run, like they'll say, "Oh, you've got one play." I'll go up. Let's try this. So I always try. Well, at least try something that I've got planned. 
if you're playing the position you're playing, but like a quarterback in, in NFL, you've got to know the calls, know the right time to, to execute those calls. And we saw that in, in the Super Bowl that Kansas City Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes went over to the touchline. Usually it's the coach who makes the call. He just said, this is the one to use. It'll win the match, and, and it did. You've got to do it on the hoof. I think as I've grown up, I've learned to like how to, to break down teams where you can pick on weak players or, or weak links that they have. And it's good because as I've got older, I've just learned you know, at the start, I was quite panicked about it, like what to call when. I had everything written down uh, on my wrist. But as I've got kind of this year, I was like, well, yeah, let's just get a feel for it. So I get the feel for the momentum of the game, how they defend, how we attack. And then it kind of just became a lot easier as I was getting growing into this season. But it's a shame that, as we say, it got cut short. I spoke to your mum previously, a couple of years ago, and, and I think she was saying that your family were threatening to, to send you down to New Zealand so you could qualify for the All Blacks, go and play for the All Blacks, if you showed any promise. And, and you insisted that you were, you were born in England and were going to play for England. But you did get sent, or you did get sent, you did go down to New Zealand. <laughs> to get sent. Um, yeah, yeah. You go to New Zealand. I, I wonder how... In terms of your, your, your confidence in play calling and, and, and managing a game, how important was it for your, your development as a player and, and as a playmaker to go uh, you know, and, and spend a year playing in New Zealand? It massive, absolutely massive. I was actually stationed at fullback quite a lot of the time when we played uh, for Auckland, but I was still part of that decision-making group, which was good to learn because I was a little bit out of my depth at the start. I just I broke my arm at the start of going there. So by the time I, I didn't have much game experience coming into the ITM season and then just sitting at the back and playing here and there kind of helped me develop off the field the, the skills of, of learning the game. So coming back in and I joined Yorkshire straight away and I'm very similar. I was starting every week for them. So I got to put into place what I had from New Zealand into Yorkshire but New Zealand as a whole the whole experience was was unbelievable the way they play so it was really quick I'd, I lost a lot of weight whilst I was over there I was trying to keep up with how they were playing but the skill level that some of those players have even at a lower level is, is ridiculous. When you were in Auckland you had some pretty esteemed coaches Jacob um, Graham Henry was involved with Auckland and who else did you yeah. work with? Obviously Graham Henry, Philo Tia Tia Played at the Ospreys, played international rugby, and uh, Alama Iramia as well, played international rugby. So some pretty good coaches to learn off. Graham Henry was a, a funny guy to be around because he said he hadn't coached for a while, so he wanted to come back. He's such a good guy and such a nice guy. And for his age, you'd think he'd be kind of past it, but he's, he's got such good knowledge to tap into. Uh, Alama and Philo were you know, big island guys, kind of fierce competitors, and they, and they brought that into their coaching. You know, they were on you for everything. Um, but as soon as they were off the field, they were so chilled out. But it was nice to, it was a different style of coaching from over here. And I learned a lot. And they were, you know, I spoke to Al- Alama quite a lot in the in the transition period of coming back over here and thanked him for all that he did. And Graham Henry, was he just sort of a sounding board with a few tips here and there? Or did, did he have some, you know, attacking ideas for you? Or what, what was his input his his role was um, defence. He was our defence coordinator. So I worked a lot with him because he, he said to me, you know, you've got all the talents in attack, but you just need to work on your defence. So I did a lot a lot with him, one-to-one, analysing foot position, shoulder contact, everything like that. So it was good, a good time to learn. And he's also a great guy off the field. He loves to drink. <laughs> <laughs> when we won the, um, the ITM, you know, the first thing, he had a bottle of, bottle of red wine with him. So yeah, he was... Um, Helped me out a lot over there. 
And just the experience of winning something, you're coming back into a, into a, a WASP team that you hope will carry on rising up the table. If it's not this year, then you'll be chasing on as you hope in, in the years to come. What, what, how valuable for you was the experience of, of a winning campaign? Huge, absolutely huge. I think just in terms of culture, and a lot of teams say it's kind of one of those buzzwords, but culture, to experience it firsthand of what a winning culture was like, it's kind of ingrained into you. So when I went back to Yorkshire, that was my next challenge. You know, I took a lot from, from what we learned in Auckland. I tried to keep those kind of high standards of what we had over there back here. And sometimes it doesn't work. But what we've got now at Wasps, you know, it's a really good culture. Everyone's got the same goal. Everyone's got the same mindset. Very similar to what we had in Auckland. So hopefully if we keep going like we're going, it's the same results. Were you tempted to stay? Very. I was very, very tempted. I was trying to sort things out. I wanted to stay. I just loved the whole the whole lifestyle of it. But when I came back here, I realised, you know, I've, I've got a job to do here as well. And I was signed signed at Wasps. As much as I would love to go back and play over there, I think, you know, the right time to come back and play here and carry on playing for Wasps. Can you see yourself doing what, what Joe Marchant has done this year and maybe at the right time to just take a, a sabbatical six months and try and play Super Rugby down there? I'd love to. I've always always said to my dad, I'd love to play Super Rugby. Obviously, my uncle played countless times for the Hurricanes. But the way it's going, you know, who knows what would happen? I'd love, to, I'd, like I said, I'd love to play over there. There was, there was a lot of differences to how the Thames play over here, to how the New Zealand Thames play. A lot of those Thames are runners. Obviously, Bowdoin, Barrett, Moanga, a lot of runners. Whereas here, you have got people that play the line. So it'd be nice to kind of incorporate both sides of my game into uh, from learning over here to over there to over here. So it'd be it would be nice to go over. And you come back, I say, play for Yorkshire, and, and now you're installed in, in the 10 jersey at Wasp, head of an all-black, who's playing that 15-year-old for you. Did you expect to make it the progress that you've made in, in, in that space of time when, when there's a player of the, you know, the quality of, of Lima Sopoanga in the club? To be honest, no. I was just very fortunate that in pre-season, at the start of this year, they both, him and Billy Searle both had injuries. So I kind of got full range of the team. Everyone got used to how I played and just having the confidence that, you know, there was no other 10 there. So, you know, I had that shirt for, you know, until kind of they were back. It gave me a lot of confidence to really go out and express myself. But having them both there on the sideline was good because they were helping me out. Lima was massive. He's like, any you know, night before a game, take, he takes me, anything you need, let me know. And same with Billy. Like, we were always challenging each other in training and really pushed each other. So... I didn't expect to, to get this far in this year, but, you know, it's been been a pretty good time. How important is your Islander heritage? Going over to New Zealand, you know, the main thing I got from, from you know, being around Islanders is how generous and how kind they are. doesn't matter what they've got, they'll, they'll give you some of it. And that was something that I really liked and something that I learned from. Um, and having people like Lima, Jeff, Tumang Island, Malachi around the place helps, you know, They've got their little crew together and I try and pop in and out, try and learn some stuff from them. But it's def- I'm definitely, you know, trying to learn as much as I can into my heritage. Have you got a tattoo yet? I've got a, I got one done, I think this time last year. Broke my arm, so I got it where I broke my arm. You know, just to symbolise the time that I had over there. And it's part of New Zealand, part of Samoan as well, so. I was talking with John Afoa last week and, and Tracy Artinger about the new Hawaiian venture that they're setting up with Ju Rokafoko and uh, Anthony Tuatabaki and, and a, you know, a whole group of them. They're hopeful of, or they'll have a club in Major League Rugby. They want to join whatever whatever guys Super Rugby evolves into in the hope that it, it would do a huge amount for the individual national teams down there and, and as a pathway for, for Ireland players. 
is massive. There's a lot of un- untapped talent over there. And I think a lot of raw talent as well. So having the right people around that, around the islands, around the areas would definitely help out, get some of those players out. Of, and you see that how many people, how many islanders come over to play in France and in England and Wales. You know, there's a pool of talent that, you know, it just needs the right kind of guidance that really, you know, excel them into top players. And my dad works with the, the PRPW and over lockdown there was so much going on with them that I learned a lot that I didn't know was going on with the world rugby and you know they they were trying to help with the team in super rugby so learning from that and then you also tap into the heritage side as well of what they've got it was a really cool really cool experience and then I guess if you, if you were to set yourself some goals as much as it'd be fascinating to see the development of, of rugby in in the southern hemisphere and Pacific Islands for you it's Boston England yeah, as me at the moment, the main goal again would be to try and be around that England England squad. It was, I, I quite enjoyed it. I enjoyed being around some of the young lads that they brought in as well to learn from them. But you know, August 16th when we play in Saints, hopefully I'm, I'm involved in that and we can kickstart where we left off. In a world without coronavirus, Jacob Umanga would have just returned from an England tour of Japan with Ben Earl and Max Malins. With Saracens condemned to at least one season in the Championship, Earl and Malins have instead spent the summer relocating to the West Country to further their development under the guidance of Pat Lamb, and they've been telling Owen Slot all about it. Delighted that Ben Earl and Max Malins have joined me from Bristol. Well, I think you're in Bristol, but uh, you're you're in a in a room somewhere, which I guess is your is your home, your flat, your house in Bristol. Yeah, a little flat in Clifton at the moment. Well, at the moment, yeah, and here for the for the for the foreseeable future. So yeah. Obviously, you were at Saracens a few weeks ago. When did you guys move up? Quite a while now. We moved quite. It was a little bit up in the air, to be honest. Like when we started getting training again, and then you know. All parties were kind of a bit like, what's the point being still at Sarries with obviously the next games being played, hopefully in a Bristol shirt. So we got down about six weeks ago, about six weeks, five, six weeks ago. So we've been down here for quite a while. Yeah, we've been training for about five weeks with the group. So yeah, very much settled in now and looking forward to playing. Was that a sort of a a friendly handover, if if I'm right? Because I I think that, um, was was your contract not due to start on the 1st of August? Uh, Have I got that right or...? Yeah, no, you're right. Basically, they saw that uh, there was no point of us training with Saracens to then go over to Bristol to only have a couple of weeks before games start again. It made sense for both parties just to let us go early, get a good few training weeks with, with Bristol leading up to to the Prem games. So the pair of you have sort of uh, gone through a fair amount of uncertainty as to... A, who you're playing for next season for a while, I guess. And then when you're going to play, when you're moving house. I mean, it must have been a pretty weird time. I think it was, yeah. I think we, we literally had to, we had one day to come down to Bristol and decide where we're going to live for potentially, what, 13, 14 months, which was <laughs> stressful in itself. If someone had said this is how it's going to be five weeks ago, I think we'd have definitely taken it. I think we're both pretty settled, loving the group and, and you know, we're learning lots every day, literally. So, um, so yeah, I think we're, I think we're enjoying it. You're both obviously young and sort of early into your professional careers, but likewise, you've both been with Saracens through the academy and, and that's where you learn your professional rugby. So I mean, what was it like moving sort of 
arriving day one, new faces, new setup, new system? I think well, it was all a bit different simply more because of the fact because of lockdown. So when we came in with Bristol, firstly, everyone was we we're only allowed to train in groups of six. And you're basically in and out of the club pretty quickly in a two-hour slot. But I think that actually worked in our favour because it let us get to know little groups at a time. And then now where the whole group's together, we actually know everyone already. So it's actually, I think, worked in our favour, this this different kind of schedule. Yeah, it's been less daunting, I think, isn't yeah. it, as well? Like going into a team room for the first time with 40, 50 lads and literally knowing next to no one, you know, it's it's a tough one. But no, I think it's good. I think you know, it got to a point a couple of weeks ago where... Well, we were four weeks in and we were seeing new faces so it was still pretty um all felt pretty fresh and new but like now you know we've obviously spent a few weeks with them and, and we're pretty so without wishing to use too much of a, of a cliche word the, the, the culture I, mean, I know you haven't played games you're still sort of finding your way around but uh, but saracens are so distinctive in the way it does things and the the identity and the allegiance that players have to that club i mean you two have gone to Bristol for a year, but you clearly want to go back again to Saracens. Your contracts to go back again uh, in in a year's time. Does Bristol feel very different, or is is the bottom line that rugby clubs are rugby clubs and uh, rugby players are, are rugby players, and kind of it's the same sort of thing, or, or or not? I think it is different, to be honest. I think I would you'd ask someone at Bristol. I think they're still very much in the early stages of of their of their journey um, to steal a word. I think, you know, that they, they realise this isn't that going to happen overnight in terms of success. And, you know, although they have been very successful this season, I think they're still quite early on in their, in yeah, in their like creation evolution, as it were. Whilst, you know, we came into and left a group that was, what, 14, 15 years down the line of, of something that's that's been pretty successful. So, yeah, I think, you know, there are definitely similarities, but, you know, there are some stark differences that have been both good and bad. But, you know, on the whole, it's been quite refreshing, I think. Can you put your, your foot at all on, on what the differences have been? I guess it's hard to say, but the sort of focus about Pat goes on a lot about sort of making that lower bar like higher, raising that lower standard, kind of. And it's a, it's a massive team thing, I think, for Bristol to get everyone up to a standard where they can now compete for trophies and titles and... That's what's been so refreshing coming to this environment, actually, is to see how ambitious they are. As Ben alluded to, you could say a new and up-and-coming, like ambitious team. Got a great squad now. Their better years are ahead of them. So I think that's been really refreshing to see how, how ambitious they are, the, the stands they drive for each and every individual. I think as well, like, I think you've got the likes of Stephen Lewatour and Charles Piertau and... You know, even Carl Sinclair to an extent, they've all experienced different things. I think it's just aligning everything at the moment. It's still pretty, quite heavily coach-led, where we came from like a Saracen environment where it's quite player-led, um, with the likes of Owen, Maro, um, the Vunapolas. You know, they've been doing the same system and evolving that themselves for the last 10 years, whilst this system's still pretty fresh. So I think at the moment, it's quite hands-on with the coaches and you know, it'll be a, it'll be kind of a drip-fed thing with with players more prominent in team meetings and whatever. But you know, it's, it's a different environment, and I think it's one that we both found quite refreshing, to be honest. Presumably, I mean, you you just mentioned Stephen Lewatour and Charles Pietau. Presumably, for, you know, it's a statement of the obvious that by going to from from, from uh, one high-performance environment to another, you're going to you're going to be exposed to different things. Obviously, different 
players, different world-class players. Do you feel that you've kind of been given a, a great learning opportunity that probably wouldn't, might not have come your way otherwise? I think so. I think we joke about it a lot, but you know, from the age of 14, you could, you could argue we've been brainwashed into a way of how to play rugby with, um, with the Saracens badge. And you know, that, that, that's one way of how, it, of how to play the game. And yes, it has been unbelievably successful, but you know, there are many different ways to play the game and different ways to prepare, different ways to work on yourself physically. And I think, you know, all these things are just another feather to our bow, I guess. And, and you know, like watching the way that Steve, Stephen Luatua trains compared to how Maro trains is, is massively different, you know, which is right, which is wrong. I'm not in a place to say, but as long as they perform on the Saturday, it doesn't really matter. So I guess it's just another thing. It's another perspective on the way to play the game, I guess. Would Steve Luatua be a player that you watched Ben and, and thought I, I could do with a bit of that? I think so. I think, you know, there's, he's, he's an unbelievable ball player and some of his, like, skill set is, is off the charts, much like I'm sure Max would say about Charles, you know, they've come from a, a New Zealand environment where it's expected that everyone's got a level of core skills and it's quite English and old-fashioned to think, you know, a back row has just got to hit rucks and tackle hard and carry hard, but, you know, the game's evolving and you've got to have a point of difference and, you know, I wouldn't say Steve Lurito is the biggest tackler in the world of rugby but my god he's got great hands he's got great in the set piece and, and a great way of reading the game so it's about picking his brains on, on that I guess and, and picking other people's brains in other bits of the game. Max who have you particularly been looking forward to uh, to playing alongside I mean Pierre Tower would, would sort of be the obvious pick I guess but uh, there is a certain semi Radradra who's, um, who's yeah playing. yeah no, I think what was good for me is obviously going from the Saracens environment. You got well, as a fifteen, you, well, I've learned a lot from Iron Farrell, and in uh, previous years Alex Good, and then you come to Bristol, and then there's obviously Charles Piertel, and who I'd say pretty different players. So to get like both of their knowledge, which I'm sure they have different views on things and different ways they play the game, is invaluable to me. And like yeah, like you said, playing inside or outside semi is uh, is going to be good. Get on his shoulder, I'm sure you'll get something. Just seeing him in his training weeks, he's, he's showing what he's about. So, it's very exciting. He is the same in training as he is in, in World Cups, is he? He is, very much <laughs> so. Very impressive, yeah. yeah. What's he like as a bloke? Is he a, a quiet Fijian or is he a, or not? No, I would say he's, I'd say he's quiet, but he's, he's, not, he's not afraid to come and speak to you and ask how your weekend was or whatever. I mean, he's, he's been real nice to us, yeah. I think. So, yeah, yeah. I think um, I've actually been really impressed with him and, it probably is quite daunting with English probably not being his first language. So I, I think he's trained really well. I, I think he's lived up to the hype and the rest. So I think, you know, I can't wait to play with him, to be honest. What's he going to go back to Saracens with semi in, in in your toolkit, uh, Max? Would it be the, um, the, the sidestep or just thundering through tacklers? Uh, I think it might have to be the size step, just based on genes. But <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that he's sort of quite vocal. Like anyone who's watched um, Saracens in the in the last season would know that you get a fair bit of volume from Ben in most games, don't you? Uh, talking, cajoling, encouraging. Would that be fair, Max? He, I mean, he loves a fist pump. Uh, <laughs> we were actually joking about it the other day about what he's going to do with his try celebration because he can't go up to the crowd and chuck a fist to the crowd anymore so he's it'll be funny to see if he scores if he still goes along with that but, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah if he scored true but no I think that that's crucial in the pitch and especially at Sarri's to put a big emphasis on sort of celebrating the small victories and that comes part and parcel you see Marrow do it and they sometimes get a bit of jit for it but um, 
I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's crucial parts of the game that may not seem crucial to others, but actually have a big effect going forward. Has Ben been the noisy in training yet, or is he still? He's easing his way in. He, he started a bit quiet, I'd say, but I think he's, he's now coming out of his shell. And, uh, yeah, they're getting to know me now. It's a problem. Bit of a problem. <laughs> he's, he's prone to a little shake of the head on the, on the pitch, so he's, he's, <laughs> a bit, he's never really happy. <laughs> I gather you tra- you're trying to establish yourself with an aggressive haircut as much as anything else, Ben. Would that be fair? Oh, or? I have, yeah. <laughs> My mum's close to disowning me, so I think it's going to have to come off pretty soon, but... But yeah, I just thought I'd embrace the West West Country and just see how I how I spit in, and it's been it's been great. The people back in London have said I don't know you anymore, but nah, it'll, it'll, it'll be gone. It'll be gone before the game starts. Don't worry. And Max, what's your state of fitness? You had a really frustrating last year when you were appeared to be hitting hitting the straps a couple of times, and then yeah. you were doing similar injuries. Yeah, I then refractured my fifth metatarsal, and then. Uh, Funny you actually bring it up. Uh, second day with Bristol, I got a grade two hamstring tear. Oh no! So I haven't, I haven't actually been involved in any of the rugby sessions yet. But I've been, yeah, doing some progressive running sessions uh, with the SNC and uh, hoping to get into training next week, back in the next week. So yeah, I haven't had the the best of starts, or the, the luck hasn't dropped for me yet. But um, hopefully, it's going to happen sometime, isn't it? Yes, I hope so. Touch wood. Would you be fit for um, the start of the season then, or the restart of the season, or, or a bit? Oh, I should be. Yeah, I should be. Just in time to face Saracens, <laughs> if I get picked. <laughs> that's, that's the question. So, rugby restarts on Friday the 14th, and Bristol's first game is Saturday the 15th, which is um, a home fixture against Saracens. Is that, yeah. is that one that you both would be desperate to play in, or the last game you'd ever, last fixture you'd ever like to turn out in? I'm not really too sure. I'm, I think Ben probably has the bigger thingy because he's going to be having to run into brick walls and uh, <laughs> probably get lined up by every single player on that pitch, whereas not much action probably come my way. I guarantee my head will be on a whiteboard at some point in that <laughs> week in, in Old Albanians. But yeah, I, we've talked about it quite a bit. Yeah, really, yeah. Like, and pros and cons. It'll be a weird one. But at the end of the day, you know, Bristol are paying us to play rugby. So I think, you know, we can't decide whether we're playing or not. And we're, we're, we can only put our best foot forward. And, you know, hopefully, you know, selfishly, we get we get a victory and push for a top four. You could just give us a little inkling as to what it's like in, in the, the apartment where you are. Who's cooking? Who's cleaning? We're both cooking. We both cook our own meals. We don't really have the same type of... We don't eat at the same time. Yeah. I eat quite late and Max eats quite early. So, so yeah. there's not been much cleaning, if I'm honest, yeah. <laughs> no, I think cleaning is okay. Not your pots and pans. <laughs> the pots and pans can be left at times, but like clothes washing is fine. I'm in charge of clothes yeah, washing. Max can take charge of maybe dishwashing and stuff like that. But we have a dishwasher and that kind of gets aggressively full by what? Quite quickly. Yeah. Day and a half. So we're on, that's on quite regularly. Seems a bit of a cop out for us, doesn't it? Like, yeah, it oh, we just bung it in there and leave yeah. it for a few days. But no, it's, it's actually been okay. We've got like two separate rooms and separate bathrooms. So there's not that much of living on top of each other. But, you know, Max is very tidy and I, I kind of follow, try and follow suit. So that, that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of how it works. I get picked up for little things, though. <laughs> Were you flatmates back at Saris? For the, for the first for my, my second year, Ben's first year academy, we were all in a we were in a academy house together. But we lived um, when we went to the twenties. Obviously, we were in Georgia, and yeah. we spent four weeks in the in a in yeah, a room, a room, which was which was you know kind of 
the big the test the big litmus <laughs> test to how this would go and it went okay so well it went okay for my point of view so they always say that in new relationships the big test is going abroad with, with your your partner so <laughs> well then we passed the flying we colors. passed that yeah we passed it but no it's actually it's quite easy we come right. to be fair we haven't been we get back at training three three thirty uh, we usually go go for a little wander into Clifton Village. Ben loves a coffee, so do that pretty much most days. And then to come back chill, it's been a lot of sport on recently, yeah. a lot of football, so um, and a, f- a bit a few gaming sessions. So, yeah. so it's yeah, it's, it's just the way it goes. Yeah. Yeah. We're pretty tired off the train, to be honest. We can't really venture far, much further than hundred meters, and then <laughs> you know we kind of turn back. But we also have to be careful because yeah, obviously tough. we have the we have the testing stuff. So on a Monday we get tested and then, you know, you don't know if you if you get the negative or positive test until probably Tuesday morning, Tuesday afternoon. So, you know, you've got to be careful who you spend your time with because, um, you know, you hear stories about people being quite close to each other, having a coffee, and you don't know if you're positive or negative, and then they both have to isolate if the test obviously comes in the wrong the wrong way. So we've had to be pretty careful, but, you know, we've both said, look, if, if one of us gets it, well, the other one's definitely going to have to isolate because we live on top of each other most of the time. So it's just the way it is, I guess. Has it been frustrating for you that you haven't been able to do a, a big club social with your your new teammates and, and, and embrace it in that way? Or, or is that just a waste of breath thinking about that because the world is different and you just got to get on with it? I think it will come, won't it? It'll yeah, come. no, I think it will come, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, well, Saracen's put a lot of emphasis on that game to know people outside of the club. And obviously, it's been hard due to this situation to sort of do that outside of the club. But I'm pretty sure that will come when things start opening up again and things ease. Can we just talk a little bit about the decision to go to Bristol? So obviously, there was uh, some thinking at Saracens as to what everyone was going to do this season. Some of the more senior players have stayed. My understanding of it is that you two are just in that stage in your in your professional careers where you're charging forward and the idea of a, of a recuperating year or a more restful year was sort of the opposite of what you needed. So you wanted to get out and experience something new. Would, would, would that be a sort of the correct interpretation of it? So we all had one-on-ones when all the news came out and stuff. And thankfully, when I went into that, we both sort of had the same plan in mind where we thought that I needed to continue playing Premiership rugby and champ wouldn't really develop my game yeah, so thankfully we went into that meeting and we we were both on the same page. So then it was about kind of find, well, finding a, a club that would take you on loan, which looked pretty scarce early doors. But thankfully, um, well, we both got a, a phone call from Pat, who obviously is very ambitious and said that he lives in the present and wants the strongest squad possible and thankfully made this option viable. And it's a very exciting one. And enjoying it so far so yeah we're um I'm just very grateful to sort of have this opportunity for the year. Did you discuss this together was it you know I'll go if you go or, or were the, all the negotiations completely separate? I'm only going if you go because we got on so well in Negotiations it, are definitely separate. But... Yeah I think but I think it just kind of like there was obviously me, Max, Nick Azikwe, Jack Singleton, it was kind of us four. Tompkins. Nick Tompkins was a different boat of the Wales stuff. Yeah, yeah. But obviously us four, and it was kind of a bit like, we kind of were always just sitting down at the table and there was this big elephant in the room. It's like, what's going on? And different conversations were had. You know, for me, I had a few offers at, at, at the beginning and then, you know, then it kind of evolved into, it would have to be a permanent offer and then that wasn't really feasible for me. So then one day, Max and I literally text each other saying, 
you haven't spoken to Pat, have you? And like, because we both had a phone call and Pat kind of drops us both in it being like, yeah, I've just spoken to Max. And Max like, and then I think Max would be like, well, I have a missed call from him. So that was kind of how it worked out. And I was like, right, okay, so this is happening then, is it? So yeah, if either of us would have come down on our own, I think it would have been a very different and yeah. could definitely have been slightly trickier yeah. situation. So yeah, we've got to be thankful that we're all set together. And it means we can also constantly be like, I love the way Bristol do this or I wait for Saris do this. So it's always nice to have a bit of a, a, bit of a sap and a moan. But no, it's been good. Good stuff. And just finally, how, how much are you desperately looking to getting back and doing what you do and playing games again? Because it, it has been a long time. I can't wait. I mean, it's, yeah, it's been December since I've played. And obviously this lockdown's probably actually helped me as I haven't missed as many games. So first you need to get back on that training field and then I can't wait to get back involved in the game again. Can we just do one more thing before you go? Because we, we, if Ben feels comfortable about this, because I don't want to put you in a tricky position, but we have talked about your haircut, Ben, and this is going to be an audio. So I wonder if Matt's can describe it for us. Ooh, describe it. <laughs> Business in the front, party in the back. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> There's not been much party though. There's been no party, but hell, that's decent. He needs to keep a cap on, let's put it Yeah, down. I do. And that's why I started with it on, and then once you mentioned it, I was like, well, if you know about it, I'm obviously going to take the cap off. Do you get the odd weird look, but hey, in Bristol, anything goes anything in Bristol, you've got to realise that as well. There's a new bit of fashion down here. <laughs> All right, listen, thanks, chaps. Really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you very much. Have, Have a good day. Stay safe. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Every business has been hit hard by the pandemic, but rugby's financial fault lines have been cruelly exposed, with clubs cutting employees and wages to try and stay afloat. Guy Thompson was told in March he was no longer wanted by Leicester, and Lawrence Delalio went to find out what he did next. Well, I'm delighted to be joined by Guy Thompson, who of course has had an extraordinary rugby journey through clubs in the championship started at Richmond I think went to Jersey went on to a pretty good club called Wasps left Wasps for Leicester and now finds himself at Ealing Trailfinders. Guy really really appreciate you uh, talking to the Ruck first of all the inevitable question how have you been how are you and how are you coping with lockdown and what are you up to at the moment? Lockdown I try to look at the positive to be honest I know that there was a lot of negativity of, of everyone having to stay home and, and kind of stay away and Obviously, as professional athletes and rugby players, it was tough trying to train. So I may try kept routine, but at the same time, I managed to launch a, a property company, which I've been uh, heavily involved in, and I managed to get two assignments done on my on my masters as well at the moment. So I kept busy, I kept routine, but I'll be honest, it was great when I was able to go back in the club at Ealing and just just get training with boys again because it was so hard when you're on your own. You've had a really well, I think quite an extraordinary rugby journey. You know, for someone like myself, I left school. Obviously, the game was very different. 
back in those days. Um, but I joined Wasps as, a, as an 18-year-old and really only stayed there for, for, for 20 years. And that was the only club I've ever, I've ever been with, man and boy. I mean, give us a bit of an insight into, into your early days. You, did you go to a traditional rugby school? I know there was a connection with, with Matt Mullen, who, who yeah. you ended up reconnecting with at Wasps. And, and you briefly flirted with, with Gloucester for a little while as well, didn't you? So I played with Matty when I was sort of 14, 15 years old. I was at Bishops in Hereford, which was always a big sports school. And every year they sent maybe four or five boys that, that were sort of showed ability in rugby to Bromsgrove School uh, in Worcestershire. Obviously, they had a really good sort of pedigree of players. I think Goody went there as well uh, back in the day. And then my age was like Matt Mullen, George Robson, those boys. So I actually went there, played with Worcester for, uh, as my first academy. I remember getting a, a contract offer for the academy there, but my mum said uh, she made me go to university instead. She uh, said that rugby wasn't a viable option long term and I had to get an education first, which in hindsight, you look back and you probably agree with a little bit, but it, it's just the way the route I took. I ended up at university, did three years there in Newark in Cardiff, which I learned a huge amount about myself and about men's rugby because we played in the national leagues in Wales and it definitely taught you a few things about being on the wrong side of a ruck and things like that. And after that, I got scouted for Gloucester. So I did a year at Gloucester in the academy. And at the end of that year, I didn't really understand anything about pro sport. I didn't get an offer off Gloucester. I didn't really know where to go. I didn't really have an agent at the time. My mum wasn't clued up on rugby. And I spoke to a few people and I just ended up stepping away from rugby, did a little bit of travelling. And ended up playing sevens a lot, playing for a team called Templars in the summer. We went to all the different tournaments around Europe and in Dubai. Really, really enjoyed it. Playing for my local club for £50 a game at the time just to get a bit of food money. And then ended up at Richmond in London. Someone gave me a job in London. Just on the back of sevens, I was an IT recruitment consultant. Played against Jersey and Jersey were a highly ambitious side at the time and they were coming up through the leagues. They realised that my dad was from there and I had connections to the island and they wanted to make me an offer to get me across there. But it wasn't quite as simple because I, I had a career. I didn't make it the first time. And so I didn't really know, like, was it worth going for it again? So I seeked sort of advice from people around me, spoke to my mum, spoke to sort of friends and family. And everyone kind of said, look, you'd be silly if you didn't give it a go. You can, you can always fall back on a career when you're older. So I shot across to Jersey in the space of sort of a couple of weeks, did two years there, which was national one in championship. It was great fun. So um, it was a mix. It was hard because they signed myself, Di Bishop, who was a Wales centre. They signed Barry Davis, who was a fullback, obviously played a, a huge amount of time for Wales. So they had sort of like a mix of professionals that were coming in, but they also had a lot of very good players that had really good jobs on the island that just found themselves over there. People like Stevie O'Brien, uh, Graham Bell. So they had this mix. So that first year was tough having to do the extra training, but also then catching up the boys that had jobs. But it created one hell of a team spirit. As you say, it was quite amateur at the time, but I wouldn't have changed it for the world. It was incredible. Like we had a team spirit that you couldn't have found really anywhere else at the time. And, and that kind of dragged us through games because we lost the first three games, and then went 22 games unbeaten, mm. I think, in that national one year. So then um, Wasp come knocking on the door, I think in 2013. How did that come about? And was that kind of a scary prospect? To, I mean, you were working, you were playing rugby for Jersey. You're sort of semi-professional, if I can call it that. Then suddenly, you know, one of the, one of the iconic teams come knocking on the door, offer you a, an opportunity, a, a presumably a full-time professional contract on the basis that you give up your job and, and what you've worked for in Jersey. Yeah, it was tough because I didn't see it coming. Yeah. Uh, it absolutely took me away. I, I remember having a phone call from an agent that I used to work with 
And he said, oh, just to let you know, like, what's going to make you an offer? And, I, and I, it was a bit out of the blue. I'd actively looked for clubs. I, I won't lie. I did look for premiership opportunities. I wanted to go play premiership. I wanted to try it. I wanted to see if I could push myself there and because I had quite a good season in the championship. And then out of nowhere, the phone call came through. It was Kev Harmon at the time, uh, the recruitment guy. He phoned up and I think it literally, he, he made an offer. I accepted there and then on the phone and, and I moved, I think two, three weeks later, I moved across. It was done really, really quickly, which probably helped. And I mean, without stating the obvious, I mean, you played at, at that kind of level just below the premiership. When you first arrived at WAS, which was 2013, I think you had five, best part of five seasons there, ended up playing nearly 100 games for the club and with distinction. Were you blown away by the step up in level or was it, was it sort of a quite a gradual one and you felt you were ready for that? A bit of both, if I'm really honest. The, the step up was huge. It, it really was. It was chalk and cheese from what we'd been playing or, or training with in a championship, which is what you'd expect. Yeah. Wasps had a bad year the previous year and, they, and Dai was very vocal and he wanted to rebuild and get the club back to where they were or where they used to be. Which, which he did. He did a fantastic job. And there was about 14 or 15 new signings that year. So when we came in, it was evident that, oh my God, like this is Wasps. And, and it took me back. And it took me a while to really find my feet. I, I played in the first game of, of the Premiership. My debut was at Twickenham in the doubleheader. So um, that, that to me was kind of like, well, if I can play this game, then, then I could play any game for them. And I absolutely loved it. And I was hooked from, from sort of day one. We only get to see or hear what we read or, or, or listen to on the radio, but there's always a lot more that goes on behind the scenes. I guess there was a lot of very, very good back row forwards at WAS at the time. As a player, you want to play games. So you probably felt, actually, look, I, I want to be playing a bit more. And as I understand it, and just put me straight if I got this wrong, you were seeking an opportunity elsewhere to get more game time. So you put together a deal to move to, to Leicester Tigers. And then probably at that moment in time, you suddenly then got a load more game time at Wasp because there was a whole load of injuries. Um, and then Nathan Hughes announces that he's off to Bristol and having carved your way into the side and then moved to Leicester, there was probably an opportunity. But that, I mean, that's kind of the way it goes sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, that's rugby. The one thing that did happen when I was moving was the game time was being seen as I wanted to be a first choice seven and I wanted to have that more opportunity rather than coming off the bench and having an impact, which probably in hindsight, looking back, was something that I shouldn't really have worried too much about. Dai was fantastic through the whole uh, scenario. I knocked his door. We spoke to each other several times, had really honest conversations because I always think if you're willing to move, then you should have you should be man enough or you should be proud enough to go and talk to the person who's your employer and talk to your boss. Mm. So I made sure that I took that he heard it from me first and, and we kept honest and open communication. I think that's why that last season for me that I was there, we knew I was moving early, but I managed to play as many games as I did because just having the honesty and the respect between each other meant that there was no hard feelings. In hindsight, looking back, was it the right move? Probably not. Would I have changed it? I wouldn't because I enjoyed my two years at Leicester and I respect everybody that's involved in Leicester at the moment. But looking back career-wise, you can't sort of get hung up on regrets or or anything like that. You just kind of make the decision that's best for you or or best for your family at the time. And and that was right for me at that moment in time. Yeah, and and listen, you are remembered incredibly fondly. When I talked to the the fans at WAS, I think, you you know, in your time there, you built up a great relationship. They only ever saw, saw you give 100%. Obviously, there was a bit of confusion amongst them as to why we were letting one of our best performers that season you know, or they were letting their best performer that season leave the, leave the ground. Talk to me a little bit about Leicester. I mean, one of the iconic clubs of, of English rugby, along with Wasps, particularly during the professional era, probably culturally slightly different, you know, I think even though geographically they're much closer together than they've ever been. I mean, presumably you hit the ground running at Leicester, you wanted to make an impression and, you know, you enjoyed your time there. 
Yeah, I did. It was a strange one because obviously I went and met Matty O'Connor, who was obviously the DOR at the time. So I went and met Matty and Matty put his cards out on the table and said, like, I want you as my open side flanker in Europe and this is what we're aiming for. So the meeting took me back. I'd never had anybody say that to me before or, or kind of build me up, and which is obviously what they do and they want you to sign. But obviously he, got, he then got sacked. I never actually got to play for him. I had a bit of a niggle first game of the year. He then got sacked and Geordie stepped up and it was kind of all changed straight away. So I never had the opportunity to play for Matty, who had been so vocal in signing me so then for me it felt like well I've got to start again I've got to graft again and make sure that I'm seen as the first choice in this position I was lucky because there was a great bunch of boys around me there were some really good guys in that back row Mikey Williams Brendan O'Connor Sione Calamaphone these boys were were really really good players and and they did nothing but help me settle in really really quickly um it didn't go the year it didn't go the way that we planned I I, I wanted to win the league there as we all do um turns out that we survived relegation instead yeah (laughs) Well, listen, those things happen. I mean, it's been a really strange time for any professional rugby player. Quite a lot of uncertainty around everything that's going on, the money coming into the game. Clubs are under a bit of pressure financially, uh, well, massive pressures. I mean, your time at Leicester came to an end. I mean, did you did you see that coming? You know, were you able to have the same transparent conversations at Leicester as you had at Was, or did it take you a little bit by surprise? No, the short answer was no, not at all. I got an inkling because normally, you, you know how it goes, if, if they want to re-sign you, you know, you come to any contact, you tend to have conversations with the club you're with before Christmas. Yeah. And then after January, you start talking to other clubs. There was a few of us that it got to sort of February time and no, no one at Leicester had, had come to talk to us at all, which I thought was a little bit out of order. It wasn't run particularly well in that aspect of the recruitment side of it. Of I think recruitment, a lot of people think recruitment is signing new players. But a massive part of recruitment is keeping what you've got happy or letting people know when they're not required. So I had a, a five-minute conversation with Geordie after I brought it up with another member of staff. I'm saying that it's a bit odd. There was myself, Adam Thompson, and a few others that hadn't been spoke to yet. I thought, oh, it's a bit odd that no one's had the decency to come talk to us. With that, sort of the following week, we then got the, got the little meeting and, and the apologies and say, look, we should have done it sooner and, and things. But I'm old enough and sort of wise enough now to know that it's, it's not personal. That's, yeah. It's run like a business certain clubs more so than others. But it's just one of those things. It, it took me by surprise a little bit. And then I did, a, I did an interview um, where I was able to say not a few things. I didn't want to highlight that it was my choice to leave Leicester or anything like that. What I wanted to highlight was the issue of so many rugby players were going to be out of contract this year that, that didn't have clubs. Mm-hmm. And this was due to clubs not having money. And this was before COVID. So when COVID then hit and that interview got released... There was a huge amount of rugby players that just didn't have contracts yeah. or jobs. In no, I remember, I remember you being the first one to actually make this point very public and say, look, yeah. you know, if you don't want a player, you know, that's fine. We get that. Everyone comes to the end of their life at a club. But you, it'd be nice to let people know so that they yeah. can make arrangements elsewhere. And, I don't, you know, you're not firing this personally at Gloucester, but individuals should behave in a certain way. So, so you found yourself, you know, a little bit at the end of the, at the, end of the journey at a time when, other clubs have probably already done their business, so quite difficult to find yourself a job. You've decided to, to go back down to the championship, which again, I'm, I'm really you know, fascinated by. I think you're probably equally as excited by it. It's obviously a, a level of rugby you know very well. You're very comfortable there, but you're a very different player to the one that started life in the championship, aren't you? Yeah, I think so. A little bit slower. <laughs> no, um, it, for me, there was a couple of options on the table. I didn't want to go away to France or Japan or anywhere like that because I was, for me... 
I, I had to get my masters finished. I'd, I'd finished one. I'd done one. Now finished one year, and I didn't want to go away anywhere. So I, that was the most important thing for me. And then when I started looking around England and things like that, Ealing were very vocal quite early, and I had the opportunity to go and meet Ben, and, and I went down to meet him. And the ambition of the club kind of shone through him. He was really passionate. He really is adaptive. He lets players lead quite a little bit as well. So it was a really, really good opportunity for me to come down here and try and be a part of something that could be really, really exciting. I don't know which way rugby is going to go at the moment. I don't know whether they'll look at ring fencing, bringing Ealing up with Saris. I don't know whether they'll keep it the way it is. I don't know what the opportunities are, but I know that Ealing are building a very, very strong squad. I know that they're ambitious to get into the Premiership. But I also know that they're not trying to bite off more than they can chew at the moment. Yes, they're improving the squad every year, but they're not doing it all in one go, which I think would be a recipe for disaster. They're building where they need to strengthen as they go through. They've got an incredible fly half in Stephen Shingler, who probably should have been playing international with Scotland. He runs the game extremely well. They've signed people like Fraser Strachan, Max Badilly, two young premiership guys, one from Northampton, Exeter, that probably could have gone to another premiership club, but they've chose to come to Ealing because, again, they want to be part of it. And they've signed people like Charlie Walker, who's got a huge amount of premiership experience. So they've got people in this squad where... To me, I don't look at it as a downward step. I look at it as a step of just a different challenge. I look at it as, yeah, I've dropped down the league, but they won't be here forever. If I can be a part of getting them up to the Premiership, then I think that's something that, that will look very good on his CV. But yeah, I was going to I was going to say is uh, you, I mean you're 33, am I right in saying? Yeah, so yeah. you've played at you know you played at the highest level in the Premiership at Wasps and Leicester. What do you want to get out? Of? Have you signed what a two year deal with with Ealing? Yeah, I signed a one plus one. I also think that I'll go another couple of years because I didn't play rugby till quite late. I'm very active at the moment in stuff away from the rugby field. Uh, yeah. My degree, my business, I've set up and things like that. But at the same time, what do I want from Ealing is I want to be able to help develop the younger guys again. I want to be able to help give the experience that I've learned drop into their championship because I know the difference people like Barry Davis, Nicky Griffin, Di Bishop made and Ben Evans made at Jersey when they dropped down to the championship and gave their experience that that, that was second to none. So if I can just give a little something back to the younger guys or just give something back to a squad that then comes up, then I feel that my experience has been worthwhile rather than wasted. The one question I wanted to ask, I mean, you're obviously in touch with your mates that you've, that you made at Leicester, the guys that you made at Wasps, probably even going back to the, the, the friendships you made at Jersey. There's so much going on in the game at the moment and we haven't even kicked off yet. For the for the remainder of this season, <laughs> I know, yeah. I mean, have you have you been chatting to some of your your peers that you used to play with at Was and and that were on the verge of signing contracts or a bit unsure, and the guys at Leicester? Because you know, in in, in times of uncertainty, you guys all, all chat to each other as I used to with with all the other guys. What's your kind of reflections, or what's now that you've taken a step away, you're sorted at Ealing, you you're sorted off the field. It sounds like, and you you very much got purpose. What, what, what's your feelings on what's going on across the whole of the, the kind of top end of the game at the minute? I just think, obviously, we all talk to each other. Players, rugby such a small circle. As, as you know, there's 12 premiership sides. So there's only a certain amount of players. So everyone's either been with each other in academies or played against each other and, and become friends. People move clubs. So every player kind of talks to each other. Everybody understands what's going on at the clubs. I think if you look at the clubs that have kept their players and they've obviously got a very good culture, they've got people that want to be committed and be part of it. They've obviously looked after their players in the past. You look at other teams that tend to be losing players, you say, well, you you obviously haven't created a culture where they wanted to give something back. I think it's just really tough at the moment because everybody, it's not just rugby, it's everybody in 
pretty much the whole world is going to be struggling financially or going to be struggling getting wages. So it, it kind of hurts some of the boys when they see comments that, oh, well, they're only good money. They should just suck it up and take it. Everyone is. But the difference is when you're on a rugby contract, it's a very short contract. It's yeah. one, two, maybe three years if you're lucky. The difference is then we go back to zero and have to try and find a career. And some people don't understand that sometimes is they, they believe what they read in newspapers. They believe the financial figures that get thrown around and it's just simply not true. Mm. Uh, some boys just don't earn that much money and they just can't afford to take those cuts in this time because they've got families and mortgages. So it's been really, really tough for players because they, everyone understands the issues that is going forward and they want to help. But some, some players just haven't been able to do that because they've either got big families or, or big expenditure. So it kind of affects everybody differently. You have to address the situation as individuals sometimes, not as a collective group of players. When you signed your deal with Ealing, do you have ever imagined, I can't remember the exact date of when you announced that contract, but would you have imagined that you'd be playing against Saracens in the Championship next season? I knew, to be fair, it was, it was late, so I'd seen Saris come down. And at the time when I was in the Premiership and... Obviously, I hadn't even spoke to Ealing and we thought Saris were going to get relegated. Any other year, I'd have been like, oh, well, they go down, fine. But this year, I was a bit like when I signed to Ealing, I was like, it's a shame Saris came down this year and it wasn't the year yeah. after. Because I think Ealing, I still think we've got a legitimate opportunity. If we were part of an Ealing side that prevented Saracens from automatic promotion, I think it'd be something quite special and something quite sweet being an ex-WASP player as well. But at the same time, look, they, they've managed to keep some fantastic players, but they've also lost a lot. They've mm. also lost a lot of good players, young English players that have gone away because they need to play for their or Lozowski's gone on loan for a year and things like that. So, yeah, they're going to be a good side, but it'll be it's a different league. The championship is, is, is going to be full of players that are going to want to get one over on them. It's going to be full of players that see this as their cup final because they haven't played Saracens before. They haven't played some of these players and they're going to give it all. They're going to give it. And when the pitch is waterlogged and the weather's terrible and the wind's blowing, you haven't got a stadium, it's, it's different rugby. Yeah. And if some of those boys haven't played that before, it's going to be a bit of an eye-opener, but... Look, Saris are going to be favourites to go up. We know that. But all we can do is control we, what we can control at Ealing, make sure we play well against every other side. Then when we get the opportunity to give Saracens, we can give them a one hell of a go and one hell of a fight. Guy, I really, really appreciate your time on the ruck today talking to us. I think you've had an extraordinary rugby journey. It's certainly not at the end of it. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you, Lord. Cheers. Our thanks to Guy Thompson, Ben Earl, Max Malians and Jacob Umanga. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and you can subscribe to The Ruck through Acast, iTunes or your usual podcast provider.